Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. For a final time, Catherine Whitaker and myself, David Law, are here on Grand Slam Daily Duty because the US Open has officially come to an end for 2018 and Catherine and I sit across the table from one another here to ponder the final men's singles match of the US Open, won by Novak Djokovic, a 14th Grand Slam singles title, a third US Open. He's beaten Juan Martín del Potro 6-3, 7-6, including a one-hour, I think, 34-minute second set. I kind of should know that because I commentated on every ball uh, for BBC Radio. Uh, and Catherine was presenting for Amazon Prime Video UK, the home of the US Open, of course, over the last uh, couple of weeks. And... Catherine, it was a it was a funny old final in a way, wasn't it? Because it didn't feel like a straight sets match, but that's what it was. Yeah, it didn't feel like a straight sets match in terms of tennis, and yet from the moment that Djokovic broke for five four in the first set, it did have a feeling of inevitability about it. You knew that, and you certainly knew because you called it on air that that Delpo was going to have a moment he wasn't going to lie down there was going to be it's like in cricket there's always a moment when it, even at a monumental run chase there's always a moment where you think oh this could be on yeah. and you knew that you knew that Delpo was going to have that moment and yet it also had a feeling of inevitability about Djokovic winning it was a very bizarre because it's not like Del Potro wasn't competitive today he played I don't think he played his best I think he played pretty well um, and uh, the match was that 20-minute game, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. It was that 20-minute game in the second set. That was when Del Potro was having his moment. He, that was right bang smack in the middle of his moment, and it was, can he turn this moment into more than yes. a moment? Because he'd won three games in a row at that point, yeah. hadn't he? He was 6-3, 3-1 down. The crowd finally were into it because it did feel a bit flat. I don't know whether it's because yeah. the weather. It was freezing today yes I know <laughs> I probably sound a bit like Goldilocks um, <laughs> but seriously it was like November in London today unbelievably cold and what didn't stop raining for a single moment so I think that possibly could have accounted for the the slightly flat atmosphere and possibly a little bit of what happened yesterday 
you know, a bit of hangover from the whole Serena debacle, really. Mm. Um, a bit of a cloud looming in the air. So, Certainly what everybody was talking about when we came in yeah. today, wasn't it? But but when they... You're right about the temperature. I mean, I, I'm reliably informed that New York has laid that on specifically for us just to help with the transition. Um, but Well, don't do that again because I didn't enjoy it at all. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, I'll, I'll unarrange it for next year because I've already booked that. Um, the... The scoreline at 6-3. Outdoor three. studio, David. Oh, yeah. Outdoor studio. Oh, yeah, I don't have Why can't it just it be 25 degrees and pleasant all the time? Right. Okay, I'll sort that out for next time. 6-3, three, 3-1, three, the scoreline. And I'm doing that second set, and it's 3-1 after 20 minutes. And really, I'm thinking, this is a bit of a damp squib at the moment. But I, I did say to Pat Cash in our commentary box, somewhat hopefully, <laughs> I think... Um, there is always a moment with Juan Martin Del Potro when he hits a big shot that makes everybody just gasp. And then people, as you said, in, uh, with the run chase analogy, you start to believe that this is like hitting the six, you know, when, you've, when it seems miles off, but you've just hit two sixes in a row. And suddenly that's really dented that, that required run rate. And, and then he won, what, he won three games in a row. And the other things that were happening were that the crowd then rose and responded to him. The crowd got under Djokovic's skin, quite understandably. Again, it's one of those where they are loud. They are so pro Del Potro. They're giving Djokovic a bit of stick. And they were cheering his first serve faults, which I, I, I do hate to see. Mm. And look, he does get wound up by this sort of stuff. I would get wound up by someone cheering my first serve faults. They'd really? probably get bored of it. There are so many of them, though. So if I <laughs> hire somebody to <laughs> yeah. barrack you and, and cheer after you've had... But no. it didn't... That sort of unpleasantness, the, the cheer, it didn't last long, did it? No, it didn't, no. Yeah. It was I, almost I like agree. they sort of... There was a flavour of it and everyone went, oh, no, that's a bit much. Also, let's, let's row back a bit. I think Djokovic, because he didn't... OK, he got frustrated with it for a couple of games, but he... he he suddenly locked in his game again and it's well how do you give this guy any stick when he's this good yeah because he you know for the first set and a half I think the first thing we should say is that I don't think Del Potro was playing that well but he wasn't playing badly and 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 no matter how hard he hit the ball Djokovic always seemed to be there he seemed to be putting the ball exactly where he wanted to he looked he looked as good as he's ever looked he looked a little bit cautious to me, Del Potro, and you just can't. The only way he was ever going to beat Djokovic was by hitting through him, and uh, and even then he was always the underdog. Um, he just looked a little bit cautious early on, and and that allowed Djokovic to dial into the match, didn't mm-hmm. it? Those first yeah. four games, he was almost let off the hook a bit. Djokovic um, just was allowed to settle and work his way in, and then he turned the screw at four all. And as I said, from that moment onwards, sorry, was it? Was it, did he break six, for four three? Six three, wasn't it? The first set, yeah. Um, apologies, uh, it was a single break, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. From that moment on, onwards, it was right. Djokovic is is dialed in I don't see any prospect of that waning because that doesn't really happen with Djokovic anymore not without conditions Mm. not without extraneous factors intervening he hasn't dropped a set since the second round in Tennis Angrin and the first round Martin Fuchovic and there were extraneous factors in in both of those so he was just he was brilliant he was a wall tonight I know that's not a glamorous analogy you know it's not like some of the analogies we use for 
Federer, you know, the, the glorying language, but it is an immense compliment in itself. He was, he was a wall and even the mighty Del Potro with the forehand that makes a sound like no other couldn't hit through him. I do think it's worth pointing out that the court speed tonight in the cold conditions, it was really shown up just how different yes. it is. Um, and hey, you play in the conditions you've got. Djokovic didn't ask for them to, to change the courts. It definitely favoured him. Without question, it gave him a, an extra fraction of a fraction of a second on Djokovic's big shots. But I only I only raise it not to detract at all from Djokovic's win, but just because I do think it'll be interesting to see what they do going forwards. It's very stark how different yes. it is. And very you know, stark. Um, Pat Cash, who was with us in the commentary box and who had been coaching Coco Vanderway in the, the, the women's doubles final. Absolutely brilliant final, incidentally, before the men's singles final, won by Coco Vanderway and Ash Barty, having saved three match points, I think. And, uh, and, and they managed to, to beat uh, Tamer Babosh and Kristin Mladenovic. Pat Cash said he'd been out on the Arthur Ashe Stadium court earlier in the day, and he was really surprised at just how slow it was. I mean, he, he'd not been on it before this, this in, during the tournament, and he said, I'd and this, he said this when I, in the first set, he said, I, I have been thinking to myself, I don't know how Djokovic, how Del Potro is going to hit enough winners on this court. It's so slow. And, um, and, and look, that was, that was borne out. If you look at the winner counts for the match, now obviously Djokovic did win in straight sets, but he hit one more winner than Del Potro did. And normally I would expect to see it'd be a question of unforced errors. Or that, forced errors, yeah. yeah. But that's a fairly stark statistic yeah. over over a sort of three-hour, 15-minute match. It was stark. I mean, I think the likes of you and I notice court speed differences less than the highly attuned eyes of Pat Cash and Daniela Hantikova and Greg Rosetsky et al. in the studio alongside me. So I always feel like if I'm noticing it, you know, if my naked eye is noticing it, this yeah. has to be something. I remember... Um, I think it was, I think it was actually 2014. I was at a, a Champions Tour event in Belgium with with Goran Ivanisevic. About must have been a couple of weeks before the U.S. Open, which he was coaching. I'm, I was joshing with him about why are you here, Goran. You're supposed to be coaching Marin Cilic. Um and uh, yeah, little did I know that he, yeah, would end up coaching Marin Cilic to, to win that U.S. Open title. But he, I remember him telling me at the time that. U.S. Open was faster than Wimbledon. He said yes, U.S. Open's the fastest right. slam by far. Yeah, by far. Um, so this is a, a new it's, development. It's huge. It's huge, and and they have said, yeah, we deliberately did it. We've added more sand to the paint to uh, help following their own players. Well, they said recall, following requests from players last year. I don't think they specified that those requests were American players. And Jim, Jim Courier did say it was for the American, American players. players. Well. Can't believe that they would be bowing to requests from John Isner and Jack Sock. I mean, maybe Serena, but I don't think it's that critical for Serena that it be slower. I don't think so either. So what we're looking at a court? They've created a court to help John Isner. And also, I, mean, I don't. Also, buy Catherine, that. they had four Grand Slam semi-finalists well, last year in the women's singles. Yeah, so I don't buy that it's any of the women. So yeah, we're back to John, isn't it? It's very strange. And Jack Sock maybe, but I, I mean Jack Sock's a, a shot maker. He's a. I can't believe that. So let's take. We're talking about John, isn't it? Yeah. And I just don't believe. I don't know. It's, it's 
Yeah, it does. Confusing. It doesn't add Confusing. up. It doesn't add up. So I mean. So they had this. Um, this. You had this spurt from Del Potro, who won three games in a row, and and then this twenty-minute game. And I've I've never commentated on a one-hour, thirty-four-minute set, and I've been doing this for sixteen years. I've never commentated on a twenty-plus-minute game, which is what that was. Just extraordinary. The, the I don't know. The, it's just the stickability of Djokovic, the refusal to just allow himself to be beaten and, and also he was so on it tonight and he's been on it for the last couple of matches the difference in his body language since the the weather has changed is has been so palpable and it was the same thing that happened at Wimbledon when I saw him play Hatchinov I always go back to that match because you could see this timing now Djokovic made the court look like it wasn't slow that's the diff- the other thing for me is his combinations were working. The ball seemed to be bounding off the court from his racket by comparison. And I don't know. I think he was amazing today. And he, and, and he won that second set on a tie break. He just took the best that Del Potra had to offer and, and, and still won. Um, third set, uh, he went an early breakup, didn't he? Del Potra had that, that mini moment where he managed to break back. But that felt like his own little bit of defiance. I, I would have done the fourth set commentary... I never felt as though I was going to take my chair again tonight because Djokovic was not going to be stopped. And, and he's now on 14 Grand Slam singles finals, singles titles, joining Pete Sampras, his hero, on that number. I, I remember years ago him saying that, that he was his hero. And uh, He said in the speech that he was disappointed Sampras wasn't there. Yeah, it's interesting. It's I'm, I'm pleased that he felt he could say that because Me you know we, we we all we're all aware of the fact that he is he's the least present um of any of the the great champions Andre Agassi was very absent for a long time um but is more of a presence presence now um but he is by far the least present of any great champions and and it's a it is a bit of a gaping hole. Look, he do, it's up to him what he does. We're not expecting him to necessarily be hands-on or get involved in coaching, but surely he could just show up and wave for a big moment well, or and something. What, and what I, occurred I to know, me was shame. 10 years ago, I, I had the chance to go and interview Pete Sampras. Um, at a, I mean, this sounds very glam, but at the Beverly Hills Hotel in, uh, in, in, in L.A., is that in I can imagine yeah. you fitted right in, David. Oh, it, was, it was hilarious. I mean, it was hilarious. Uh, I, I turned up at this hotel, and little did I know you have to ask permission if you want to do broadcast interviews in, in a hotel. I didn't know that. Uh, I came in, I, I'd just been on this sort, of, this sort of solo video journalism course, learning how to set up my own camera and do an interview completely on my own and be the cameraman, right? So I turned up. And I'd arranged this to, to interview Pete Sampras. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I got to the hotel. They said, no, you can't do it here. You can only do it in your own room, right? So, so I had my so own room. Pete, allow me to show you yeah. to my bedroom. And it was, it was actually the, it was the, it was the day after Pete Sampras had played against Roger Federer at Madison Square Garden. Remember that? And, uh, he, it's the he, wrong city. Well, yeah, I know. But anyway, he'd flown back because he lived down the road. And, and he'd agreed to do it there. So he, um, he'd, uh, he'd already retired, obviously, years ago, but he'd played this match against Federer, and, uh, and he met up with me, and, and he, he, I said, yeah, you've got to go, got to go to this room in here. And he says, is that your room? He says, uh, yeah. But anyway, it's fine. So it's fine. And uh, anyway, he sat down with me. But what, what was interesting talking to him was how much 
A, how much he, he revered Federer. There was the, he absolutely loved Federer. It, it, and he, he really genuinely didn't seem to mind that Federer was taking his titles and taking his records because I think he just... He could recognize that this guy genuinely was even better than himself. And, and I think that that was... That was he seemed okay with that, to be honest. Um, and this is off camera as well. But, but he also did talk about Djokovic. He, he did talk about Djokovic, who had, at that time, I think only won one Grand Slam. He'd won one that Australian, one Australian Open. Yeah. And he, he said he's the one guy who can move with him on a hard court and do all the kind of movement stuff that Federer does. And, and, and it, was, it was just very interesting to see his, his analysis of it. And, and then he, he revealed to me in that interview, and this was properly breaking news, he said... Federer at the time was on 14 Grand Slam singles titles, same as, same as uh, I think, no, I think he was on 13, and, and he needed two more. And he said, he will break my record, and when he does, I want to be there. He said, Australia would be a bit far for me. I, would, I think I would struggle to go to Australia because um, it's such a far, long way away. But when he does break the record, I'd like to be there. And at the US Open... He, I think he drew level with Pete. Um, I, I can't remember the exact numbers. But then at Wimbledon 2009, he ended up breaking the record. And lo and behold, out came Pete Sampras. Just, he arrived just, late, didn't yeah, he? A few games into the final, he yeah. took his place in the Royal Box. And, and, I, and I'd remembered that, that he talked about that and, 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 and that he was planning to do it. And I'd been on to his agent and saying, listen, Pete told me in this interview, I've got, got it here, that he was going to do this. And everybody sort of seemed to forget that this interview had gone out probably a year and a half earlier. I said, is he going to be there? And they, said, they just didn't answer me. They didn't answer me at all. And so I just sort of thought, well, I, don't, I can't go on record and say he's definitely coming. I can say he definitely told me he would. But then he arrived. Then he just appeared on the screen, and it was just a magical moment. Well, so he, I'm, I'm really, I'm really sorry in a way. I'm sorry for Djokovic that it, that it hasn't happened today. And it, the fact that he mentioned it, I really, yeah. really think that, yeah, that it. And he would, he would, he would have been invited a thousand times over. This is their anniversary I year. I, I mean, hope they invited oh, him for sure. You I know. mean, they've been doing all the the coin tosses with the past champions at the coin yeah. tosses and. I mean, if they were going to invite him any year, this would is the year. Would have been great, wouldn't it? Would I mean, have been a nice moment. Yeah. And it was I nice mean, to see I'm him with sure McEnroe, he's having a lovely time in LA playing a lot of golf, and yeah. he's earned the right to do that. But one night, yeah. one night, I'm sure they would have laid on a private jet, you know. Yeah, I'm I sure, wish he had. I'm sure he would have been treated quite well. Yeah, quite you know, well. Wouldn't have had they to carry to his be. own bags or anything. Yeah, oh uh, well. Anyway. So... There he is on 14. Just, just quickly, yeah. Catherine. Where do you think Djokovic is going to end up from oh, here? Oh, this old chestnut no, again. But suddenly it's relevant now. Because, and, yeah, and, and I know. Also, and also, I you know, when, know, when we did our Ask Catherine and David show straight after Wimbledon, we were talking about... We, we had one, one question in saying, what does Nadal need to do to be considered the greatest ever? Yes. Well, what does Djokovic need to do? Djokovic has got a winning record against both of them. He's but, now but won the whole, 14. But that question pertained specifically to winning records, didn't it? About how... I think, I think there was a, a, a caveat in the question about, you know, does, the, does Federer's record against Nadal not... Does Nadal's record against Federer not count for anything? I, and I, I think 
I think the winning records thing, the head-to-heads, falls quite far down the the pecking order in terms of determining factors. I think Djokovic has a lot of other things going for him. Um, The fact... He's 31. Yeah, time's time's most on his side. Um, I think his game is ageing very well in terms of of the tour. Um, You know, if courts are slowing down, then that's good news for him. Um, I think that the desire is obviously that, that I don't think he's going to suffer that lapse in desire again because he's refound it. Um, I think that in terms of what he's already got, I think the Golden Masters is significant. You know, he's he's had a consistency which. Ooh, you said it, Golden Masters. Well, what we haven't decided on another. What else have you got? The Grand Master. That's not a... No. Golden? What's Golden got to do with anything? Well, the Golden Slam. That's a thing. No, well, that's if you win a gold medal. Okay. As well. Yeah. In the same year. Right, I take your point. I think it's a rubbish name. I do too, but anyway, I had nothing else. He's won... (laughs) I was was, was grasping. Sorry. Uh, Um, He's he's won all, all nine Masters. He's won 14 Grand Slam titles. He's won all of them. So what does he need to do... Does he, is it just a question of... Yeah, he's somehow got the Davis get, Cup as well. If he's some st- I mean, he hasn't won the Olympics, but yeah. if, if he gets to twen- 21, I mean, that's the end of the argument, oh, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for me. Yeah, absolutely. Abs- I mean, for me, the Grand Slam title stands above anything else in terms yeah. of determining factors. Um, then I'd go to... Still a lot to get. So there's another seven, isn't it? Um, and that's I assuming- mean, they've obviously all been world number one. I think, sort of, I, I think after that, I would go to Olympics. Mm. Um... They've all won Davis Cup. Um, I do think the head-to-head comes into it, though, because they've played so many but matches. It, d- but does it come ahead of any of those things I've just said? I don't know. At Tennis Podcast, I would put let the, us know what you I think. I would put the Golden Masters, or whatever you called it, ahead of a head-to-head. That is an amazing achievement yep. in itself, isn't it? Because nobody else in history has ever done it. And, and I, I just remember back to when I was at the ATP 20 years ago, and we were talking about Sampras and Agassi, and, and there's a chap called Mickey Singh who used to work at the ATP, and now he's working at ESPN behind the scenes. And I remember him writing to me once, once and saying, do you think anybody will ever win all nine as they were called then, Mercedes Super 9 tournaments. Now, they were a bit different. There was a Stuttgart in place of a Shanghai. There was, a, uh, there was Hamburg, and you know. But nobody had ever got close. I mean, I think somebody had done maybe six, something like that. Brackets, though, Lendl did do it. Yeah, Lendl did do it. You're but right. I, I, I don't different think that definition. particularly detracts from... I, I, as I say, I still put the Golden Masters hmm. brackets. Let's find something else to call it. Um... I see that as definitely it's it's not above Grand Slams, it's not above Olympics, but for me it's above head to heads. It's definitely mm. a, and it's the thing that neither Federer nor Nadal have no. crucially. Yeah. Um, so goodness, can you imagine how much he's going to want to win Tokyo? He and Federer both. Yeah. My goodness me. Well, I I, th- I also think now that he's fit again, and now that he's motivated again, and now that he's added two more slams, and suddenly they're kind of. I know Federer's still a long, long way ahead, but they're kind of a couple of years' worth of slams away. <laughs> I mean, he's won three in a year before. So yeah. you just he, he must be... He must have it in the back of his mind. He could end up at the French Open going for the holding all four at the same time again. Wow. I mean, he's won six Australians. He's, he's probably going to end up world number one this, seat, this year. 
crazy happens in the next few months, he'll go into the Australian as favourite to yeah. win a seventh. Um, yeah, it's bonkers. And he's the it's best Australian stuff. Open player yeah. probably ever. Absolutely. Isn't he? Given, what has he won, six of those? Six of them, yeah. It was three months ago, David. Three months ago, not a day more, I don't think, that Simon Briggs and I sat and recorded that podcast in the now demolished media centre in Paris as media representatives streamed out of Novak Djokovic's quarterfinal post-match press conference after defeat to Marco Cecchinato, where he was so distraught and furious and disconsolate that he just tossed out the suggestion that he might not even play on grass. Well, yeah. Since then, he's <laughs> reached the final of Queens, won Wimbledon, won Cincinnati... Okay, lost to sits a pass in Toronto, but and won the U.S. Open. I mean, basically, since that moment, he's just he's dominated click, tennis. Click back in. He's gone back to relentlessly dominating. And I, I thought before this tournament, I thought he's won Wimbledon. He's playing brilliantly again. I think he will win more slams, but I didn't think he would go back to relentlessly dominating. And I've changed my view definitely well, I mean well I mean you, I've no, no choice because to. he is yeah. relentlessly dominating he yeah. is he's doing it and he's only a thousand points behind Rafa with with Nadal's knees, knee problem I mean he's he's odds on to be world number one mm. end of the year yeah it's ju- it is just amazing um, so that's Djokovic that's and Del Potro a word for him just, just to say you know okay he came up short today but another another massive step for him a huge deal nine years later that he's that he's managed to get to another final oh but his the tears of del potro are all our tears aren't they i mean the sobbing into the sobbing into a towel at the end of a match it's the new thing isn't it it's the new in vogue thing soon to be done by david law after our rematch um all right yeah, oh goodness me! It's the ho- I know it's a cliche, and I said this on uh, on our coverage earlier. So apologies to anybody to whom I'm repeating myself, but it's the hope that kills, isn't it? And for for many of those nine years, he didn't have any hope, or he didn't allow himself mm. any hope, and he would have said, "Oh, if I got to a Grand Slam final again, that'd be a dream come true. It wouldn't matter yeah. what happened." But he got there. He believed he could win. He hoped he could win, and it was it's it's the crushing of that that you know it's like England in the World Cup everybody would have snatched your hand off if you'd said semi-final against Croatia but of course when it happens and you lose you feel like something's been snatched away from you you feel like you've been done some great injustice yeah um, but oh the the arm around the shoulder from John McEnroe and then from Novak Djokovic and then the wonderfully warm words between them they're obviously good friends and so I mean it was it's not good news when you've got a ton of eye makeup on and you've shortly got to go on the telly. <laughs> I was all right with that. Yeah. You know, I, was, I was crying like a baby. But, oh, you know, when Djokovic went over and hugged him, I was really struggling. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Bless. It was nice. Um, so that was, that's uh, Del Potro. Um, I, think we, I think we think he's... I don't know, would he ever win another slam? Mate, I think there's no reason Djokovic why he Djokovic thinks he will, and I believe him I, really I know you throw those things out in those speeches but I, I, just, I got the impression he really thought he's playing at the level that that could he only he just needs an opportunity either to get say a Djokovic or a Nadal on a bad day or whatever a bit of luck you know if he keeps sustaining this level it is Grand Slam level winning is. form isn't it 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. A couple of other results here. Uh, doubles champions in the men's side, Mike Bryan and Jack Sock. Congrats to them. 6-3-6-1 over Lucas Kubot and Marcelo Mello. I mes- mentioned Ash Barty and Van Der Waag. It was just an amazing final. It actually delayed the men's singles That's final. That's her first ever doubles title, Ash Barty. I thought she'd won one before with Pat Casey De- Delacqua. Was, was saying that she's lost, she'd lost all the Grand yeah. Slam finals. You yeah, know, so at, at th- every one. I mean, obviously big for Van Der Waag. She had an awful year in singles. Yeah. Absolutely awful. And a lot of injuries to win at home um, big deal and I mean it's well documented what a fan of Ash Barty I am I mean yes. who isn't what hard hearted person isn't um, Agreed. so that's lovely we didn't mention Jamie no and Bethany Matic Sam. yeah and apologies for that that was my fault yesterday I mean we, we got overtaken by all the events of uh, the Naomi Osaka win the Serena Williams Carlos Ramos story which we're just going to touch on again in a minute as well but just a word for Jamie Murray and Bethany Matic Sands I think it's Jamie Murray's fourth mixed doubles title, his sixth Grand Slam uh, doubles title overall. Bethany Matic-Sands, I don't think anybody who saw what happened to her, who heard her voice back then at Wimbledon when she turned and dislocated her knee uh, on the court will ever forget it. It 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 was so horrifying and harrowing. And you did wonder when she was carried off the court whether she'd ever play the sport again and she said she I interviewed her afterwards and she said that a year ago she was learning how to walk again um and so to get back on court I think in March of this year and then six months later trust her knee enough and have enough psychological strength to play the game the way she plays it I mean she's so full-hearted I mean it's a great match it was 11-9 in the third set 
Champions tie break. Yeah, they took their second match point, didn't they? Jamie missed a really nervy volley on the first. And Actually, do you know, I think it was about their fourth because oh, they were 9 6 up at one stage in that match tie break in the third set. And they beat uh, Alicia Rosolska and Nikola Mektic. She's a very good player, Alicia yeah, Rosolska. I, lost, uh, I watched a lot of that mixed doubles final. That was another, um, oh my goodness me, someone get me a tissue. I've got to go on air in a moment. Uh, moment when Bethany Mattox Sands did her speech oh. and then Jamie Murray started singing and, and uh, suddenly, he, he's <laughs> suddenly not that, it all got very serious very quickly he's a lovely bloke but he's not very tuneful is he no it was, a, it was nice of him though yeah it was a nice moment he, he um, Alfie mom. Hewitt as well Happy has done birthday. the double he won the doubles yesterday alongside Gordon Reed, and today uh, he won the singles beating Shingo Kunida Yes. In straight sets That's in the right. final. So, yeah. well done, Seven, five Alfie in Hewitt. The second set. Well done, Alfie. Um, now, the fallout has continued today. Uh, I'm a bit sick of talking about it to some degree. Um, but I just feel that we need to touch on it again from yesterday, given new things have, have come out. And one, th- one thing we didn't talk about on, on the podcast last night, I don't think, I, I don't know whether we'd had the, had the tweet yet, was Billie Jean King tweeting uh, about uh, about the situation it, much more much more passionately and single-mindedly than I actually would have expected to be honest in this particularly in this particular instance and I, and I feel I mean I, I can't imagine how you feel so I want to know um, she's somebody I have such a lot of respect for and I, and I, I'm, I I'm so open and alive in my mind as to to all the issues that we've discussed in the past and and that Billie Jean stands for but her her tweet here says when a woman is emotional she's hysterical and she's penalized for it when a man does the same he's outspoken and there are no repercussions thank you Serena Williams for calling out this double standard more voices are needed to do the same my personal view is that in many instances absolutely right in this particular instance, it really it really shocked me, to be honest, that that that, that this one had been used as as the example for it. Um, subsequently, uh, the USTA made uh, Katrina Adams made a, a statement. I think we touched on that that last night, uh, and then came out and did an interview with um, with ESPN, which I found absolutely baffling and I've she, heard about it I haven't seen it have you seen it yeah I've seen it I've seen it and, and, and effectively what she did is spend the interview and she was quite quite I was quite pleased with the, the nature of the interview by Chris McKendry of ESPN who really pushed her on a, a couple of subjects and, and Katrina Adams basically said that Carlos Ramos had not done the right things yesterday uh, in 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 his match, uh, officiating and and we all know that sexism goes on in officiating and uh, and that men do that sort of thing all the time and don't get penalised. Um, and uh, and and my takeaway from the the way the way she spoke about him was this guy has umpired hundreds and thousands of matches. Um, he's umpired all four Grand Slam singles finals. I haven't umpired any, but this is how he should have done it. And it really wound me up, to be honest. Uh, I think it was the wrong thing to do. To, she threw him under the bus. And, and, and then the WTA also released a, a statement as, as well, which, uh, which I can read to you, which, again, I, I just... 
I'll tell you my view on it in a second, but the, but the gist of, um, of uh, what the WTA's CEO has said tonight, uh, Steve Simon, I'll just read this to you, is yesterday's US Open final resulted in the crowning of a deserving new champion, Naomi Osaka. The WTA applauds Naomi for a tre- tremendous accomplishment. Yesterday also brought to the forefront the question of whether different standards are applied to men and women in the officiating of matches. The WTA believes that there should be no difference in the standards of tolerance provided to the emotions expressed by men versus women and is committed to working with the sport to ensure that all players are treated the same. We do not believe that this was done last night. We also think the issue of coaching needs to be addressed and should be allowed across the sport. The WTA supports coaching through its on-court coaching rule, but further review is needed. Yesterday's match showcased one of tennis's new stars as well as one of the greatest players of the game. We look forward to th- more thrilling matches between these great athletes and hope that we all witnessed yes- what we all witnessed yesterday never happens again. That's what Steve Simon, the WTA CEO, had to say. What, what's your reaction? Well, a slightly baffling statement by Steve Simon. There's so many sort of gender-related issues that I'm constantly, desperately pleading internally for them to be mm. take a strong stance on that they don't I find it slightly bizarre that they've selected this one to, to go out on a limb on um, I, f- I find Kat Adams' stance um, baffling, absolutely baffling even if that's how she feels, even if that's how uh, that's the party line for the USDA to go out and yeah, it's, th- it's, it's throwing Carlos Ramos under the bus, all I can say is repeat what I did last night which is <clears throat> I believe sexism is rife in tennis as it is in the world but it is a it is a, a, a macho male dominated world and sexism is rife mm-hmm. I personally didn't see any evidence at the time of sexism in any of the actions that were taken by Carlos Ramos it's not where my mind went but um I think what I was trying to express last night, quite often when I'm trying to express something and make a fudge of it, I wake up the next morning and find that Jonathan Liu from The Independent has written an article expressing everything that I wish I had the eloquence and words to, to do so myself. And I think he, he did that as brilliantly as ever today. Um, I'll try to sum it up, up and, and almost certainly do the article in injustice, so I'd, I'd urge you to read it. But... Serena, Serena's very being is about disregarding the rules that have shackled her her whole life from the age of five or younger even, but it's from her, you know, in tennis terms from the age of five. Um, she wouldn't be who she is without having disregarded the rules, the rules that were created not, not not for her that's not the right way i mean not right the, not the right way of expressing it i mean she has experienced and had to overcome prejudice discrimination disrespect at every single turn at every single stage of her career um and life and, and, life, and behavioral norms are subjective i think is is the the take home from the article if you're looking for sort of one headline behavioural norms are subjective um, I still think she dealt with it all appallingly I think that her behaviour was still poor 
but I think there's a lot of privilege in us all just completely disregarding her feeling that sexism was at play because although it's not how I felt I wouldn't have the arrogance to tell Serena Williams about her experience we have not had the same experiences as her and she may be wrong about it but I understand why she might feel that way and I don't think we should dismiss her no. feeling that way and that, as and readily as many people are doing and that's where the the article does a, a, does the world a service and the, the conversation a service i feel because he he's just made us look well, not you because i think you you are you are more open-minded to it and more more aware of it than than most people i know but it certainly helped me to crystallise some of the thoughts that I'd already got a little bit. Certainly helped me fully understand them in a context that I, that I wouldn't have the understanding to, to, to be able to have, uh, have grasped. And I think it did it for a lot of people. That having all been said, I think it's effectively more of a general point and it's part of the conversation. I think these specific instances, I can't get away from the feeling in my stomach that this is bandwagon jumping and absolutely and and that this is they've seized on an opportunity here and there's i why this one as you said yeah, why this, why one? this one and, and absolutely the the egregious instances of sexism that that i am aware of and witness every single day this isn't the one as i say everything i just said about serena and her experience and everything that still stands this ain't the one mm. I don't get it I, feel I don't like get it, just, it I feel like you know I can give you a list yeah. of other things and to take a strong stance about it, please I think it undermines all of those things that's what I, really bothers me it's I so, agree and it it almost feels like you know this is such a big moment and the world is taking notice it's like we've got to seize this attention and uh, I, I don't know because you know how passionately I feel about and trying to change things and there's a part of me that thinks if the end justifies the means then yeah and maybe that's what everyone's thinking but but what happens it's what, uncomfortable the danger is though Catherine what actually happens <laughs> is it in, in the danger is you end up entrenching the views of those that are sexist. Absolutely, and I've seen a lot of that today. I've seen a lot of just People completely use- laughing off the the whole issue of sexism and, and, and as I say, dismissing it. Yeah, dismissing people, it. And, 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 this- and although I think we're in agreement that it's not what I saw... I, 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 I just don't want us to dismiss it no, in the way that the, I've seen. The, the, da- the, the danger is that there will be people who, who think... Sexism is is a load of rubbish, and that, that and that there is you know we should all just get over. Oh, it. you've played the sex card. Yeah, you've played exactly. the gender card. Pe- you've, people will you know, use this as their example of, of of why it's a load of nonsense. Yeah, you've got a gender chip on your shoulder. Yeah. yeah, all of that, all of that. And although I don't believe in those people determining your actions, there is a one of the things that that when Billie Jean King came to our studio that really. St- struck me was she was asked about having said apparently once upon a time that she wasn't a feminist and she said well that was just me tailoring my argument to make it more palatable to the audience at the time I was always a feminist but 
people considered it a dirty word and I wanted to convince them. She said, that's leadership. You, you, yeah, you tailor your message. I mean, obviously there's a balance to be had between not, you know, selling your soul and watering it down, et cetera, et cetera, but you tailor your message to ensure that it has impact and one day, you know, incrementally you'll have to, you'll have to water it down less and less. And mm. I feel like that hasn't been done in this instance. This isn't the way to to make the change that we really need to make. And actually, make. In, her, in her situation, because she is so constant in her support of these issues and her speaking out on these issues, I therefore accept it more that, from her that, that this is a continuation of that theme. And I'm not saying that the WTA don't do that because obviously the, you know they have a role to play, but it's the manner of of these statements and and the the, the manner in which Carlos Ramos has just been he's be, just been thrown aside in all this for what for when what he's actually tried to do in in my view is just follow the rules. Of course, and, it, 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 when. Um when we when the players were walking onto court yesterday, and um, we were still it was before we turned it over to the commentators, the the players were walking on court. We were talking over the the coin toss, and Daniela said, I, I said Carlos Ramos in the chair there, and she said, he's a great umpire. He's really firm. You always know what you're going to get with Carlos Ramos. Mm. He's really firm, and she said, you know, I wonder if they've chosen someone like that because of the Leani Gate umpire gate. You know, yeah. they've chosen a firm umpire that follows the rules. He gave coaching warnings to both Djokovic and Cecchinato in that French Open quarterfinal that that was very remarkable yeah. at the time oh wow I forgot that yeah um, so yeah it I really, really feel me. I really feel for Carlos Ramos and somebody is he an ITF employee or he an is, ATP yeah. employee he, he used somebody to be ATP please put out ago. a statement to, to support him yeah surely the ITF could do that yeah uh, it, it does feel a bit of a lonely battle at the moment, and, and what I, I mean, there's a lot of journalists speaking out and, and 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 very unhappy with the way this is being handled. I hope that he and Mohamed Leani are having a big drink somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not um, that their situations are, are similar, but in the and we were very yeah. and, and I know well you were very critical of, of Mohamed Leani, um, but. They are human beings, and it's uh, it does bother me. It does bother me the way they just don't I'm critical get a of voice. Him, but absolutely, don't wish for him to be thrown under any buses. No, nor Carlos Ramos. No. Oh dear, it's not a very nice note on which to to end this podcast. So let's cheer it up uh, by just reflecting on on the couple of weeks before we finish, Catherine. What what what's your highlight? Is it, what were you? Ooh. What will you take away from this and just, you know, if somebody says to you in, I don't know, 10 years time and you're going back through the archives, 2018 US Open, what what do you want to remember from it? I think what I, what I will end up remembering from it is, I don't know, the fact that I became so well acquainted with an air conditioning vent that I ended up giving it a name. <laughs> what was it called? Nelly, because it's like an elephant's trunk. And do you remember Nelly the elephant? Yes. He packed a trunk and said goodbye to the circus. Off she went with the Trumpy Trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. Yeah. 
I do remember. Nelly the air conditioning vent. Right, Nelly. So what's happened to Nelly then? Well, I, I abandoned her in the oh. Prime Video studio. Oh, yeah, dear. Because it was like eight degrees today. Right. So um, N- Nelly just didn't get an outing? No, Nelly doesn't do hot air, unfortunately. Full anyway. of hot air, I heard. <laughs> anyway. uh, <laughs> um, have tennis, we got any on-court ones? Or? Tennis-wise, um, I have got Nadal versus team. And uh, I've got Sabalenka Osaka. And I think Sabalenka yeah. deserves a bit of a mention because... Yeah could be her holding the trophy because she was the only person that came anywhere close to Naomi Osaka 7-6 mm, in the third very true. their match that, that is that does feel a bit of a title decider doesn't yeah, it yeah it does I mean Sabalenka might have been beaten by one of the next few players absolutely. but she was the one who was playing at that sort of level yeah. wasn't she absolutely and that yeah. was the match where we saw Naomi Osaka doing the the now ubiquitous towel sobbing yes um, and yeah, it was Although, almost as if she knew this was the one I needed. To, you know, this was the big one, the hurdle to get over. So, those are the two matches that stand out. I, for I me. feel a bit off with Sabalenka though, because she went and beat Kvitova, who I said was going to win the title. So, I'm not too pleased with her. But anyway, it's not about me, is it? <laughs> Sabalenka. Anyway, um, I would go for two. Uh, well, actually, three. I would definitely agree with you about Team and, and Nadal. That's match of the tournaments. Arguably match of the year. One of the, one of the best matches I think we've ever seen. It's one of those that I'd like to see again. You know, I'd actually like to watch a replay and see some highlights and stuff like that. Um, I, I loved that Andy Murray came back on a grandstand mm. stage. It was just, I don't know, I just missed him. Just heartwarming. Loved, I just hope it's the start of something big. And I don't, my honestly held view is that this is not my current uh, takeaway memory from the US Open but I'm hoping in years to come that it will be and that's Naomi Osaka as the champion well I can report that today instead of doing what the champion would usually do which is do a load of TV here in New York a load of morning shows do a photo shoot you know top of the Empire State Building or something she got on a plane to Japan today and I'm so pleased because I think the place where people will be least concerned about the whole Serena Williams incident and only concerned about Naomi Osaka being Grand Slam champion is probably at home in Japan so I'm pleased she did that very pleased me too me too so folks I think that's about it. Have I forgotten any other results? I can't, I'm sure there are some results I've forgotten. Uh, there was boys. Uh, we Brits won some boys doubles. Did they? Anton Matusevic oh, and right. somebody else. Let's just have a quick look. I'll just give you um, those results the girls very quickly. Singles final. We had in the girls singles Wang beat Burrell seven. Burrell six, was the one that six, beat um, Radica- Emma Raducanu. Oh yeah. In the quarterfinals. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, Wang Zhu, who is uh, 18, 17 years of age, uh, ranked 278 in the world. She's already won the girls' singles, so well done to her. Um, and then the, uh, the boys' singles was a chap from Brazil called, uh, oh my goodness, this is going to be a, a mouthful, Maracal Candido Rondon. Rondon used to play for West Bromwich yeah. Albion. <laughs> awesome. that was coming. He's my new favourite player. Uh, and he Brazil, beats, Wouldn't it be great if Brazil had a top player again? Yeah. He I'd beat love that. Lorenzo Musetti from Italy. You may have been able to tell by the way I said it. Uh, and then, I'd love it if Brazil had a... Yeah, you're right about the old um, British boy. Anton Matusevic. Anton Matusevic. And... 
Uh, he and A. Andreev, Adrian and Andreev from but, but uh, Bulgaria. Ten yeah. eight in the third set. That well-known Bulgarian Brit. Yeah. Nationality combination. Anyway. And then in the girls' doubles, it was I don't know how to say uh, Gorf. Corey, Corey Goff. Goff. Corey Goff. Yeah. Corey Coco Goff. Yeah. And he uh, apparently is a big, big deal. Catherine McNally won six three six two over uh, over Baptiste and Hewitt. So there you are. You're up to date. Um, I think that's uh, that's about all of it. Uh, David Wagner beat uh, Dylan Olcott. Uh, no, other way around. Dylan <laughs> Olcott won. <laughs> Sorry, Dylan. Uh, in the quad singles, uh, Andy Lapthorne and Wagner beat Olcott and Barton in the quad doubles. This is there all off the top of his head. Don't if you can you. tell. I've got my app out and I'm f- flying. Uh, oh, it's always a sad moment when you delete the, the Grand Slam app from your phone, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? But anyway... I could do with the memory, though. That has been, folks, the tennis podcast for the 2018 US Open. We've produced 15 of them. We hope you've enjoyed them. Yeah. I have loved it. I've loved talking to this woman. And uh, she's done the most amazing job all fortnight on Amazon Prime Video UK. Our sponsors for this tournament, the home of the US Open now and for the next four years afterwards. They'll also be bringing the ATP World Tour to you on Prime Video in the UK for the next five years, starting in January. They've also got the Labour Cup. My goodness, there's loads happening. And if they've got any sense they'll be uh, having Catherine Whitaker presenting it in my opinion um, but um, because she's done a brilliant job and uh, yeah we are also partnered with the Telegraph Simon Briggs read his stuff tomorrow it's going to be good he's been he's been flying with all this uh, with all these various talking points um, we are executive produced by Melanie Bowes um, by Triple S by TennisBalls.com uh, our mascot is Charlie the Ferret you know that we're sponsored by the Manga Club. Anything else? No, I'm going to pack my trunk and say goodbye to the circus. And off we go. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 